I want to appreciate, uh, you know, thank you for inviting me to speak here. I always thank everybody for inviting me to speak because it keeps me from falling asleep in church. So, <laughs> we'll sit down. Uh, it's, uh, thank you very much. <clears throat> um, as I searched my heart this morning uh, for what to, uh, what to speak on, I, I've been um, uh, thinking about the, the Jewish people and the tragedies in their history, which is very, uh, very sad history, the history of the Jews, and, and especially also of, the, of, of what, unfortunately, the clouds that are gathering now of anti-Semitism that are going to break in our world, and we're going to see some very, very terrible things happen to them. And especially now I've been thinking a lot about the Ukraine, and in particular, this is the only country apart from the state of Israel that has a Jewish president. And as that country is about to be swallowed up, and the president for sure will be um, no longer president, it's almost like a picture of what's coming for the Jewish people for the world. And so I, want, I think that we as believers need perspective and we need to understand why. And so therefore I'd like to speak this morning on two, uh, on, 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 uh, uh, two verses in the, in, the, in the New Testament that have a focus back to the Old Testament and in particularly the, the treatment of the Jewish people uh, by the Gentiles in, in, in the Bible and in the future as well. So turn please in your Bible to Acts chapter 7 verses 6 and 7. Acts chapter 7 is a, a remarkable chapter. It's a man, Stephen, who was, uh, who was uh, uh, assigned by the apostles who had decided to give themselves to word, to the word, to the ministry of the word and to prayer and had chosen certain, and Stephen was one of them, to minister to Greek widows. And, and this man was, in several places in the Bible, it speaks of him as being full of the Holy Ghost. And when he is, is uh, looking at his murderers, the people who are going to murder him, with stones in their hand, ready to crush his skull, and they do, and he looks at them with such a passion, with such a love, and he's got that spirit in him that the Lord Jesus Christ had when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he actually says those same words to them. And before he does, they give an op him an opportunity to speak. And what an opportunity he took to, to condense the whole of the Old Testament into these precious 60 verses in this chapter. And this is one little part here, as I'm going to read it here in verses 6 and 7 where he said, God spake on this wise, that his seed so, should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage, and entreat them evil 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. This is a history of the Jewish people. It's talking about Egypt. But this is also a prophecy of the Jewish people of what will is going to happen in our day, I believe, and continue on, and what will be the final outcome. This, now, th th this is a, 
Uh, this is beautiful. This is charming. Here's, here is a man, Stephen, who, as I mentioned, he's looking at his murderers, and yet he is beautifully blind to the fact that they are his murderers. He is charmingly deaf. Stephen is to his murderers. He's been speaking to the heart of these people, and, and, and he's told them that, 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 that through verse 2, as he started in this chapter, it's the history of God appearing to Abraham. This is God who wants to be friends with man. This is God who wants to be friends with man more than man wants to be friends with God. And he goes through verse 3, which is a separation history of Abraham, that following Jesus Christ is going to involve having to separate from, in, 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 especially for a Jewish believer, it's going to involve having to separate from your, the Jewish people, from separate from the Jewish family as Abraham did. Abraham was a man who God separated from his country, from his family, from his, his, his home in order to follow God. That was the price. And Abraham said, I'm up for it. I'll pay it. And he did. And then through verse 4, the history of Abraham staying in Haran and waiting for the death of his father to move on to Canaan. And, 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 and that was really a weakness of Abraham because God called him to separate, and he didn't. He, was, he, he hung on until his father died. And that's okay to be weak with God as long as there is a sincere heart to follow God, that God will give the strength to no longer be weak as it was in the history of Abraham. And then through verse 3, the history of Abraham having to come out of Syria to come into Canaan. And there can be no future with God unless there's a coming out of sin. There must be a repentance. There must be a, a, a turning away from sin. And then through verse 5, the history of Abraham having only a promise and not a realization of the land and, a, and, and, and of a son, but he was a man of faith and therefore he was called the, the father of faith. And now faith. And now Stephen is going to instruct his audience about their relationship with the world. And he's going to do this in from verse 6, as we read here, in a history of the Jews in Egypt. And that's what he's done. And he makes one observation about what God said to Abraham. And that explains the history of all the Jews. And it's in verse 6 where he says, his seed should sojourn in a strange land. That's talking about the Jews in, in Egypt. And when you take one step back and you look at the overall history of the Jewish people, there are questions that historians have had no explanations for. It's an absolute blank. And the questions like the history of the Jews in the world is a history of one persecution after another. It's Egypt. It's Babylon. It's, it's the Chaldeans. It's, it's, it, 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 it's the Russians. It's the Spaniards with the Inquisition. It's the, it's the Nazis. The Jews are a relatively peace-loving people, and yet every country they settle in, the Jews find themselves being attacked. Why? No explanation. Germany, for example, Germany had a long history of the presence of the Jews. There were German scientists who were, who were prominent there. There were German opera singers. There were German military officers in World War I. There were German writers. There were German artists. There were German politicians. Jews even have a language called Yiddish, which is essentially German. And Yiddish is spoken by Jews all over the world. 
Yet Germany as a country decided that Jews were polluting their country and that Jews had to be cleansed off of German soil. Why? Why did Germany turn against a people who are an essential part of the fabric in all sectors of German life? Jews were everywhere in Russia. That's where my people came from, from both my mother's side and my father's side. My grandparents came from, from Russia, the Ukraine, and from Lithuania. Jews were everywhere in Russia. The father of the communist country of Russia was a Jew named Karl Marx. Yet how do you explain why Jews are, are, not, are, are, are so not welcomed in Russia that before Karl Marx, that, 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 that the Jews had a name for how they treated the Jews, and the name was the pogrom. And pogrom, it means to wreak havoc. And all throughout Russia, there were continual episodes of pogroms where the sole goal was to wreak havoc among Jews. Why? Why should the most accepted play on, on, on Jewish Broadway uh, be on the subject, uh, this, on the subject of the, the history of the Jews in the world, be Fiddler on the Roof, which is a play about the uprooting of all Jews from a Russian village called Anatevka. Why? And after Karl Marx in, in a Russian society that was formed by a Jew, you would think that finally Russia is going to be a country where Jews will feel welcomed. But then why are the people of the country's father, the Jewish country's father, Karl Marx, so mistreated and so banned from going to certain universities, from holding certain jobs, they are identified as non-Russians even today, where they might as well be wearing a yellow star, the yellow star of David. Why? I mean, I remember I was speaking to my friend, uh, my Russian-Jewish friend, his name is Sasha, about his life in Russia. And I said to him, so Sasha, you're Russian. And he says, no, I'm not Russian. I said, what do you mean, Sasha? I said, you're born in Russia. And Sasha said, yes. So I said, so, so, so you're Russian, you're born in Russia. He goes, no, I'm not Russian. So I asked him, I said, what do you, explain. If you're born in Russia, your parents were born in Russia, your grandparents were born in Russia, as far back as history allows, all of your family is born in Russia, why are you not Russian? And Sasha explained to me that on the Russian identity cards, which everybody has to hold, like a passport, there is a line that reads nationality. And on his identity card, and in his passport, and on the identity cards and passports of all Jews, by nationality, it says Jew. Where all his non-Jewish Russian friends and Jewish uh, in, in Russia have on their identity cards and passports for nationality, Russian. But all Jews have marked for their nationality, Jew. There is no nation called Jew. Why? Why is that? on the Russian identity cards. Country after country have stains on their heritages, which are their own histories of anti-Semitism. Why is that? The Jews have done everything they could to become a part of the societies they live in. They never cease to be identified in those societies as Jews. And as such, they never really become 
lost in their societies like other people do. They forever are identified as Jews. Why is that? And even today, after Jews have been forced out of the countries of the world and have formed their own little country in the Middle East, a little sliver the size of New Jersey called Israel, why is the world bent on seeing that land they call Palestine, which comes from the word Philistine, why is the world bent on seeing that land vomit the Jews off it? Why is that? Why do all the neighbors that border that little small land of Israel, why would they all like to destroy the Jews from off their own uh, country of Israel? Why? Why is it that there's, only, that, there, that there's only one country in the world that has a part of its building standards that there must be in every home in that country a bomb shelter called a safe room and that country is Israel? Why? Why is it that Israel has to have throughout all their land air raid sirens in every city? Why is it that little children in Israel in kindergarten have to be taught how to run quickly into the bomb shelters? Why? Why is it that that country with the most, that has the most females by percentage in its military on a per capita basis is the Jewish nation of Israel? Why is that? That history of the Jews becoming a part of the fabric of a society and then that society then turning against the Jews, that history has repeated itself over and over again for thousands of years. Why? After the Holocaust, figuratively speaking, out of the ashes of the Jews from those concentration camp ovens, Jews left and poured into this small sliver of a land called Israel. And that country has had more United Nations resolutions against it than any other country in the world, including Korea, North Korea. Why? These questions have remained mysteries since there were the first Jews of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where the histories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the history of men who were chased out of one place after another. Why is that? Why do the earliest histories of the Jews in the book of Genesis tell of accounts of those Jews being not welcomed where they settle to the point where they have to move? Why? There's a plant that spreads itself so easily, very easily, and grows in even very harsh conditions. Why was it acceptable for that plant to be have the name the wandering Jew? Why is that? God made a unique promise to everyone which applies not only to, to, to people but also to countries about what would happen to them based on how they treated the Jew. That promise is Genesis 12.3, Genesis 12.3, I will bless them that bless thee, speaking of the Jews, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What God promised in Genesis 12.3 was that if a country blessed the Jew, then that country would be blessed by God. And if that country cursed the Jew, that that country would be cursed by God. And that promise was made over 4,000 years ago. 
So with that promise made by God in the Bible, and with over 4,000 histories of countries in the world, why is it that there has not been one country that wanted to take God up on his promise to bless a country? Why then has there never been one country that has written within its country charter the position that they will bless the Jews? Why? And with that promise of God in the Bible, why is it that with over 4,000 years of history, why have countries allowed themselves to curse the Jew? Why? These are the questions that have plagued the Jews for millennia, and these are the questions that historians have no answers for. But these are the questions that Stephen has the answer for. And he guides us to see the real answer in verse 6. The real answer that God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring him into bondage, and shall entreat them evil 400 years. The answers to these questions is found in that one word that Stephen uses twice in verses 6, and it's the word should. Should. His seed should sojourn in a strange land. They should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil. What Stephen is saying here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's about to die, but giving a fabulous explanation here, under the guise of a statement that on the surface applies to the country of Egypt, and how Jews would feel in the country of Egypt, and how Jews, how Egypt would treat the Jews, is found a universal statement of how Jews would feel in all countries of the world, and how all countries of the world would treat the Jews. It's like Stephen is saying to us, God is speaking about one country called Egypt, but really, God is speaking about all countries in the world, and Egypt just happens to be the example that God will use to speak about all countries of the world. It's not just by allowance that God has allowed all countries of the world to do with the Jews what God calls in verse 6, entreat them evil. It's by design, it's by purpose that God has constructed that all countries of the world should do with the Jews what God calls in verse 6, entreat them evil. They should entreat them evil. Why? Why would God choose a people for himself, as Moses said in Deuteronomy 7, 6, Deuteronomy 7, 6, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are on the face of the earth. Why would God adopt a people for himself and then call that people his son? In Exodus 4.22, Exodus 4.22, thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Why would God make the most important holiday among the Jewish people, the holiday of Passover, to be centered over the issue of the Jewish people being the adopted son of God, as seen in, in Exodus 4.23. Exodus 4.23, I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me, and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Why would God then architect for his adopted son, Israel, the Jewish people, that they should be so mistreated 
by every country they try to settle in. This is what Stephen is trying to explain to us in verse 7. And the reason is that there are two locations that God has designed for his people. The first location is planet Earth. The second location is heaven. And Earth is the place where a man is born. And Earth is a place where God wants Earth to be a training place for man, to prepare man for his eventual destination, which is heaven. Earth is not God's intended final destination for man. Heaven is. God wants for man to become hungry for heaven. And if man is happy on earth, then man will not be hungry for heaven. And the same is true for us believers in Jesus Christ. Happy on earth means not happy, not, not hungry for heaven. Happy on earth means not hungry for heaven. Unhappy on earth means hungry for heaven. And God wants his people to be hungry for heaven. And the only way for man to be hungry for heaven is for man to be unhappy on earth. And God wants his Jewish people to be hungry for heaven. And so God has designed that his Jewish people should be unhappy on earth. And that's why Jesus talked about how blessed it is to be unhappy on earth when the start of the Sermon on the Mount, when he says in, in Matthew 5, 3, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Where are they going to be poor in spirit? On earth. And why are they blessed who are poor in spirit on earth? Because they're getting hungry for heaven, and God will satisfy that hunger for heaven with Matthew 5, 3, Matthew 5, 3, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Where will they mourn? On earth. And what will happen? What will happen when they mourn on earth? They'll be hungry for comfort. And they're going to find that comfort in heaven. Verse 5, Matthew 5, 4, Matthew 5, 4, they shall be comforted. This is because heaven is a place of comfort, Revelation 21, 4. Revelation 21, 4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That's the scene in heaven. God comforting and wiping away all tears. So to mourn on earth is to feel hungry for heaven's comfort. Matthew 5, 8, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. The world's dirty. It's dirty down here. It's filthy with sin, soiled with free sex, grimy with foul talk, stained with widespread violence. 
The world's not pure at all. Why is a person who is pure in heart living in a filthy world blessed? Because he's hungry to see God who is all pure. Matthew 5, 8, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Where is God who is pure? He's in heaven. So to be pure in heart in a filthy world makes a person to be hungry for heaven. Matthew 5.10, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, shall persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad. Where is a person persecuted on earth? Where is a person reviled and have all manner of evil said against them falsely? Like Stephen, who is experiencing that at that very moment on earth. And why is a person who is mistreated on earth so blessed? Because he's got a great reward in heaven. And where is he going to get that? Matthew 5.12, Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Where will he receive this great reward? In heaven. So being persecuted on earth makes a person hungry for heaven where he's going to receive his great reward. Blessed for being persecuted on earth? because persecution, for great is your reward in heaven, and so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What does this all mean? What does this all mean? What does it mean to be poor on earth? What does it mean to mourn on earth? What does it mean to be pure in heart on earth? What does it mean to be persecuted on earth, to be reviled on earth, to have all manner of evil set against you on earth? And we can add to the list, to have cancer on earth to have heart disease on earth, to have COVID on earth, to have diabetes on earth. Why is it blessed to have all of those things? Because they make a person hungry for heaven where those things do not occur. Why is it blessed to be a wandering Jew in the world? Why is it blessed to be a persecuted Jew in the world? Why is it blessed to be a Jew that cannot find a home on earth? Because all those things are designed to make the Jew hungry for heaven. That's not to say that if a person has those, has those conditions or if a Jew experiences anti-Semitism that he's going to be go to heaven. Because there's still the truth that Jesus said in John 14, 6. John 14, 6, I, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. No Russian comes to Christ, he comes to the Father, but by Christ. No Jew comes to the Father, but by Christ. No Eskimo comes to the Father, but by Christ. And if a person is not hungry, there's no chance that he's going to eat. A person only eats if he's hungry. But just because a person is hungry doesn't mean that he's going to eat. If, a, if, if he's hungry, there's a chance that he will eat. There's a desire to eat. But one thing's for sure, and that is if a person is not hungry, there's no chance he's going to eat. And Jesus said, John 6.35, John 6.35, Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the living bread. And if a person eats of that bread by believing himself into Jesus then that person will never hunger again. But one thing's for sure is that if a person is not hungry, there's no way that that person is going to come to Jesus as the living bread to satisfy a hunger in the soul. 
And all those terrible conditions that happen to a person on earth to make him hungry in his soul for heaven and for Christ. Because heaven is a place that is filled with the praises of Jesus. It's the place where Jesus is. Like the song, like the new song that talked about in Revelation 5.5, Revelation 5.5, one of the elders saith unto him, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. We just sung, Lamb of God as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits sent forth into all the world. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, glory and blessing. You can't open your eyes in heaven without seeing Jesus. You can't open your ears in heaven without hearing songs about Jesus. You can't, you can't walk anywhere in, G, in, in heaven without feeling it's a place that's filled with Jesus. Amen. You can't feel the warmth of heaven and see the light in heaven without feeling and the, the warmth of Jesus and the, seeing the light of Jesus because Revelation 21, 23, Revelation 21, 23, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. If a person doesn't have a deep hunger and thirst in their souls for Jesus, that person doesn't belong in heaven. Because if, if a person is not filled with love for Jesus, and, he said, and, and, he, and he's not saying, the words of Philippians 1.21, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If a person's not saying that, then for him to die, it's not, it, 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 he doesn't see himself as dying and getting to see the gain of Christ. If that person just somehow happens to die and go to heaven and it didn't have all that soul hunger, that soul desire to see and be close to Jesus, then that person would feel so out of place in heaven that he'd beg to be sent to hell where no one talks about Jesus. Because to one person, Jesus makes his soul fulfilled, and to another person, Jesus makes his soul vomit. And heaven is filled with people for whom Jesus makes their soul feel fulfilled. And hell is filled with people for whom Jesus makes their soul vomit. And the criteria for those applying to go to heaven, the criteria to see if a person would be happy in heaven is just this question. Are you hungry for heaven? Are you hungry for heaven that you are so hungry for Jesus that only Jesus can satisfy your soul's hunger? Or are you so sick of Jesus that Jesus makes you want to vomit? 
Because if that's the case, then going to heaven would be a place of unending, intense seasickness. Where you would long for hell for, for, for a place where Jesus is not. Because heaven is a place where Jesus is, and hell is a place where Jesus is not. And, and, and no one is singing about Jesus in hell. And everyone is singing about Jesus in heaven. And no one is worshiping Jesus in hell. And everyone is worshiping Jesus in heaven. And no one has seen the glory of Jesus in hell. And everyone has seen the glory of Jesus in heaven. I have a, a dear friend, an Ethiopian friend. He's 15. He's in heaven now. He went to heaven when he was 15. He died of osteosarcoma. And there's one thing uh, about him that's before he died, when I went to go visit him, he was so excited and couldn't wait to tell me what he just found out about Jesus in the Bible. It was so refreshing. I can still see his, his, his beautiful white eyes, his black skin, his white eyes just light up. When, he, when I'd go visit him, he'd say, did you know that Jesus fed all those people? He was so excited, it was so refreshing. He loved the miracles of Jesus. Temeskin would say to me, did you know that Jesus healed this blind man? Temeskin was so hungry to know more about Jesus. He couldn't wait for me to come and visit him because, because he knew that I'd be really interested to know what he had just found out about, about Jesus. He was living in a Jewish home. They weren't interested to know. I was interested to know. Temeskin and I would sit down there and talk about what Jesus did. He was so hungry to talk to someone who was also interested in Jesus. That's what heaven is. Heaven is filled with people who love to talk about what Jesus did. And Temeskin was hungry to talk with someone who was interested in talking about what Jesus did. And Temeskin is so happy now in heaven, I can see him running up to people. Did you know that Jesus did this? Because Temeskin is surrounded with people who want to talk about that. Right now, Temeskin is in a place where wherever he turns his head, there's a person who wants to talk with him about what Jesus did. And when Temeskin was here on earth, that was not the case. As I told you, he was in Jewish home. And when Jemeskin was here on earth, Temeskin was hungry to find people to talk about what Jesus did. And now he's in a place where that's all people do, talk about what Jesus did. And like I said, if there happened to be a person who slipped into heaven, wasn't interested in talking about what Jesus did, that person would be so miserable. That person would scream, Jesus again? I'm sick of Jesus. I don't want to be in a place where everyone does this talk about Jesus. This Temeskin is driving me crazy because when I try to talk to Temeskin, all he wants to talk about is Jesus. And everyone in this place is like Temeskin. All everyone wants to do here is talk about what Jesus did. I need to get out of this place. I need to go to a place where they don't do that. And there's only one reason. Why people in heaven only want to always talk about Jesus, and that is because when they were on her, here on earth, they were hungry. They were hungry for Jesus. And if you could say there was one purpose to be accomplished here on earth, it's to make a person really hungry for Jesus 
because earth is just so for it's just so temporary it's just so temporary and heaven is so eternal and only people who are in heaven are the ones who got really hungry for Jesus on earth that's the universal question among mankind that man has not really been able to satisfactorily answer and that question is why am I here why am I here on earth why and what am I supposed to accomplish on earth and the answer to that question is the reason man is here on earth is to become hungry for Jesus because only those who are hungry for Jesus go to heaven and the great goal that a person is to accomplish here on earth is to make his soul hungering and thirsting for Jesus because only those who are hungering and thirsting for Jesus go to heaven and what a person is supposed to accomplish while they're here on earth is to learn to come to Jesus to feed his soul hunger to learn to come to Jesus so that his whole soul does not thirst because everyone in heaven feels one universal need they all feel they need Jesus and everyone in heaven feels like he needs more and more and more Jesus like the hymn puts it so well more about Jesus would I know more of his grace to others show more of his saving fullness see more of his love who died for me more about Jesus more about Jesus more of his saving fullness see more of his love who died for me more of his holy will discern spirit of God my teacher be showing the things of Christ to me more more about Jesus <clears throat> and there's only one reason that a person cries out from his soul more about Jesus and that reason is because of what has happened to him on earth and what has happened to him on earth is what is expressed in that wonderful hymn I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame and nothing satisfying there I found but to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came where springs of living water do abound. Drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I, my soul they satisfy. Drinking at the springs of living water, oh wonderful and bountiful supply. How sweet the living water from the hills of God, it makes me glad and happy all the way. Now glory, grace, and blessing mark the path I've trod. I'm shouting hallelujah every day. Oh sinner, won't you come today? To Calvary a fountain there is flowing deep and wide the Savior now invites you to the water free where thirsting spirits can be satisfied that's what Peter is that's what Stephen that's what Stephen is telling us veiled in this recount of Israel's history with Egypt in Acts 7 6 God spake on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land they should bring them into bondage and treat them evil 400 years and that nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge said God and after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place veiled in that little summary of the history of the Jewish people in Egypt is the key to going to heaven it's a history of the Jewish people that went into a country that really did not welcome them. And I know what's that like because, because I lived in Switzerland in the 1960s for two years and I know what it's like to be in Switzerland and not be Swiss. You never really feel welcomed because you're not Swiss. 
And the Jews were in Egypt, not for two years, but for 400 years. And as the Jewish people never felt welcomed in Egypt, even if they were there for 400 years, because all during those 400 years, the Jewish people were in verse 6, Acts 7 and verse 6, they were sojourned in a strange land. Why? Because Egypt has always been for the Egyptians, and Egypt has never been for the Jews. So veiled within this little history of the Jewish people in Egypt is a history of all people that can become hungry for Jesus and heaven. As Stephen said, sojourning in a strange land and being entreated evil. Veiled within those words of what happened to the Jewish people over 400 years when Stephen said those words. After that, they shall come forth and serve me. Veiled within what he was saying is the truth that it, if it, when it goes really bad for a person on earth, then that person comes forth to serve me in this place. That was the statement that Stephen made. That was also the statement that Job made after it went really bad for him. And he said in Job 23.10, Job 23.10, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Life was miserable for Job on earth. But because it was miserable, Job came forth with, as gold with a golden hunger for Jesus Christ. Life had gone miserable for a woman who came to a well with a thirst, with a past history of having had five husbands and with a current history of living with a man that was not her husband. And it was oh so symbolic when she left that current man that day in a state of thirst and came to a well of water and sitting by that well was another well of water. And that other well of water was a man named Jesus. And she thought that all she needed was the water from the well that she came to drink from, but she was wrong because what she really needed was the water from that other well of water from the man named Jesus. John 4.10, Jesus answered, John 4.10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, he would have given thee living water. Verse 15, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, Go, come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Thou hast had five husbands. Him that thou hast is not thy husband. In that thou saidest truly. The woman said unto her, I perceive thou art a prophet. Just like the hymn. Just like the hymn. There came a thirsty woman. She was drawing from a well. You see, her life was ruined and wasted, and her soul was bound for hell. Oh, but then she met the Savior who told her of her great sin. He said, if you'll just drink this water, you'll never thirst again. There is a river that flows from deep within. There's a fountain that frees the, frees the soul from sin. Come to the waters, for there's a vast supply. There's a river that never shall run dry. If that woman never had a miserable life, she never would have had the thirst that drove her to find Jesus and, and, and take her hunger away. Veiled within this little short summary that Stephen gave her was how bad it went for Israel is the explanation 
of why Temeskin, who was raised in a mud hut in Ethiopia, all his parents, his family died, and he was so hungry for Jesus and for heaven because Jesus could say to Temeskin, blessed are you, Temeskin, that has osteosarcoma, and you're in great pain from that chemo because you have become hungry for Jesus who heals all osteosarcomas. And because of your osteosarcoma, you become so thirsty for the place where Jesus is, heaven.